Mr. Hendrick. Grace understood the extravagant and theatrical mourning of Queen Victoria for Prince Albert after his death. She felt the same about her own Albert. She felt she would die if he did. She loved him with all her heart. The Queen, preoccupied with the dead, heroic in her grief, shrouded in black silk, had legitimised the fashion in England for the seance. To be a spiritualist in those times was an acceptable and respected occupation. Sex, being as it was all about the living, was out. Grace and Albert set up shop in Bermondsey. They could afford to rent a large house with two parlours, one for the seance and one to receive visitors for light refreshments. In the first parlour they built a false corridor so that Albert could run about pulling levers and pulleys to tip the table at appropriate moments, rap on the walls, knock on the door and throw harmless soft objects about to convince their visitors that they were in the presence of spirits. He disguised his voice by stuffing a child's handkerchief down his throat. He spoke through a tube directly behind Grace's chair. She mouthed his words and presto, she was possessed. They rehearsed and rehearsed until the ventriloquism was perfect. So far, so typical Victorian parlour game. But Grace was imaginative and resourceful. She proposed extras that she knew did not take place at other seances dotted around the city. They acquired a black cat. Albert singed its tail so that it would tear screaming through a hidden cat flap like a tiny and ferocious escapee from hell. The cat then disappeared and every week off they'd go, scouring the streets for another. They painted the parlour dark grey. Grace traced around her own hands and painted a darker shade of grey in the space. At the end of the evening she'd hold up a lantern to the handprint to confirm evidence of ghostly visitors. They collected dead sparrows from the eaves and placed them in the birdcage, covered in black cloth. Grace would whip off the cover like a peer magician to show her visitors how the poor little bird had quite died of fright. They borrowed her sister's baby and Billy would spank it in the corridor whenever he heard mention of somebody died in childbirth, provoking shrieks and tears and wringing of hands. In the corridor around the room, Billy had several sound effects props, tricks that he'd borrowed from the music halls, an old saucepan full of broken crockery that he would drop, a wobble board to replicate thunder, a tray of pebbles he would march in. Listen. A spirit approaches, Grace would murmur, mysteriously. They served tea and madeleines in the second parlour. At the table itself they allowed only water, rendered a little cloudy by a few drops of laudanum, the Queen's favourite tipple, which rendered the already susceptible guests helplessly suggestible and calmly happy. The addition of the laudanum ensured that they always came back for more. It was opium, distilled in brandy, easily procured in any apothecary, but the ladies didn't know they were having it. They just knew that after a visit to Grace, they felt so much better. They concluded that it was because they had glimpsed the immortal realm. Grace and Albert had a plan. It was simple, and they were happy to work day and night to achieve it. They intended to stage the greatest and most expensive seance in London. They would save and scrimp, retire when they had enough to live their predicted allotted time out in blissful idleness in Bath. In short, work hard, fleece the rich, retire early. 
they advertised in periodicals and by pasting up posters at the Players' Theatre in Soho, on which Albert had painted a likeness of Grace, who certainly looked the part. Tumbling black hair, green eyes with a faraway look, ghostly shadows peeking over her shoulder. The parlour was full and there was a waiting list from the very first Saturday. Eight ladies stepped through the door, breath rendered shallow from excitement and whale-boned corsetry, and they began. Their opening night was hugely successful. They'd done the research on their guests thoroughly, looked in the society pages and who's who to find out who had died, who was mourning, who might harbour a secret. Billy busied himself with banging and shouting and whispering. The cat did her duty, shrieking and spitting. Grace manifested various relatives by lowering her voice an octave. And everyone was convinced of her extraordinary abilities to communicate with the other side. A lot of water was consumed. Most of the ladies asked for more. There was no need to advertise further after that date. And it was best not to as advertising was deemed vulgar by the lower members of the aristocracy, and it was those lavender-scented ladies they were after, as their family pockets were deep. When the ladies visited the wives of their husbands' friends for high tea, the word-of-mouth recommendation was all the promotion they needed. They considered moving to a more salubrious address, but Albert surmised correctly that part of the thrill for these ladies was visiting the slums. They had regulars. They held sessions first on Saturdays, then Thursdays, then adding all the other days apart from Sunday, when they had to pretend they were at rest and respecting Christian traditions. Although neither Grace nor Albert had much time for God, they believed in him, but after what they were doing they couldn't visit church, as they were a little embarrassed to look him in the eye. The coins mounted, Their tricks were copied by competitors and after a slight drop in trade caused by a new spiritualist favoured by the Queen who claimed to be of Romany descent pilched some of their trade, they held an emergency meeting and told their regulars that from now on they were guaranteed a manifestation, an actual ghost that they could see and speak to, whose presence they could feel. Grace's brother fitted a trap door into the middle of the table so that Albert's head could emerge in the centre and with very low lighting and the help of the laudanum, hopefully appear to float. This meant that Albert had to hide himself under the table amongst the taffeta and silk of their guests for the first 20 minutes of the show. The corridor was to be manned by an apprentice called Maxwell, who'd leapt at the chance, as his only previous gainful employment had been gulleting fish at Borough Market, a post he felt sure had lost him his sweetheart, who hated the stink of mackerel. They paid him handsomely, as he had to be trusted to perform the tricks and not gossip or give their game away. Their landlord had put the rent up when he learned of their success. Their competitors were undercutting them. In short, they were losing money and had to make up for it quick. I've got an idea, said Albert. Though you may not be too fond of it, Gracie. With Grace's encouragement, he spilled out his idea in one sentence without pause or breath. Grace considered the outrageousness of the suggestion, thought of the money and of Bath, and then said, Let's do it. Grace began with her speech. 
to get them in the mood. Maxwell blew through tiny holes in the false walls to make the candle flames flicker. Ladies, the dead who are not at peace are amongst us. They hide behind mirrors, particularly convex ones. They dwell in dust, in highly polished wine glasses, in puddles, in cobwebs, in eyes wet with tears. They live in babies who don't know it's strange to have visitors inside themselves. They visit very young children, women in their menses, the very elderly, the dying. Occasionally, they speak to those who are blessed with a spiritualist gift. Pause for sound effect of thunder, courtesy of Maxwell. I am one of those. Faint whispers from the corridor, the squall of a cat. Tonight we are in the presence of a very powerful spirit, Mr Hendrick. Candles gutter. It will take a great deal of courage from us all to persuade him to manifest. Let us hold hands and close our eyes. Maxwell marched in the gravel tray as Billy hid beneath the table and Grace flickered her eyes. Maxwell stopped marching. Grace opened her eyes. He is with us. Mr Hendrick, please make your presence known to us. Albert began tentatively by caressing the available knees, and then he parted them, nuzzled through layers of petticoats, and laid his solid kisses on the inner thighs of these delicate Victorian flowers. They moaned, rolled their eyes, in short, manifested all of the signs usually associated with the medium's art. To a woman they abandoned themselves entirely to pleasure, especially when he dared to go a little further, and lapped gently, then insistently between their parted thighs like a cat deprived of cream. Once Albert had tickled their Victorian sensibilities from beneath the table, and each lady had been satisfied, which took more time with some than others, obviously, Albert popped his head from the centre table trap and answered their questions. What's it like on the other side? Are you warm? Do you eat? Is Molly there? Is Father there? Is Gretel there? Is Constance there? Is Marianne there? Not once did they ask whether he came from heaven or hell. Perhaps they dare not ask. Afterwards, they claimed to be touched by angels. Their first orgasms made them believe that they had briefly visited a higher plane. When they went back to their husbands, they asked them to grow moustaches. They laughed wildly, loosened their stays, abandoned needlepoint and took up vigorous exercise on horseback. They were none of them afraid of dying after their visits. It was a roaring success. Several ladies asked for one-to-one -one sessions with Grace and Mr Hendrick, although mostly Grace felt she hardly needed to be there, except perhaps as a chaperone. They charged outrageous amounts, which the ladies asked their husbands for, and it made Grace and Albert giggle to think of the husbands paying out to make strumpets of their wives. Are you jealous? asked Albert one Sunday morning as they lay in bed. No. I'm glad you're getting the practice, said Grace, who loved Albert with all her heart, but loved money with the rest of her body. Twelve weeks later, Grace and Albert had enough money to fulfil their dream. They packed their bags and did an overnight flip to Bath, paying for a house in cash and living happily ever after in obscurity. 
Maxwell went back to Borough and tried to tell his story to anyone who would listen, but it usually resulted in a cuff round the ear. He found a new sweetheart in Sally, who worked on the cockle stall and smelled of fish as much as he did. Stray cats avoided Bermondsey for a few years after and were grateful for their nine lives. Mr Fenshaw was happy that his wife was no longer spending so many evenings with the spiritualists now that they had concluded their business in Bermondsey. He thought it was poppycock, of course, and rather morbid, and was looking forward to her company in the evenings. Although she'd grown rather argumentative of late, he was confident that she would settle down. He wondered why she insisted on calling him Mr Hendrick in the bedroom and closing her eyes when they made love. He indulged her. Women were such funny creatures.' 